FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Welcome back to Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. Uh, it is Wednesday, the 3rd of March. We've made it into the third month of the year, still unscathed. Uh, if you are looking to listen to some great previous episodes, uh, we had the CEO of Freight Investor Services on last week. That's episode 43, talking about the shipping markets on freight and the great volatility and volumes we've had. And the prior week to that, episode 42, we had a Cobalt special. So if you're looking for something to uh, listen to over the weekend, some uh, extra markets to, to think about, then there's some extra episodes there. But we have this week Kerry and Tom again talking about our usual market updates. So let's go over the news, into our indexes, and then into some bit more detail on what's been happening on the markets. So in terms of oil and products, Tuesday to Tuesday, week on week. Brent, we've seen, had a, a small correction down 2.7%. Uh, we obviously had the roll as well over the month. Uh, we're now at 63.53. Uh, the Rotterdam, 3.5%, the high software fuel oil, 349.15, that's down 2.39%. Sing, 380, 36.190, down just over 2% as well. Uh, a little more of a fall on the 0.5%, that's the very low sulfur fuel oils, uh, down both over 3% each, Rotterdam version, 4.59 quarter and 4.8175 for the sing 0.5. And the high fives, that's the difference between the low sulfur and the high sulfur fuels, uh, down to 110 on the Rotterdam and 120 on the sing, both down over 5% on those. Uh, Tom, what have we seen on the iron ore indexes? Creeping up again this week, Chris. Uh, so the 65% fast markets uh, index uh, was 196.35 and is up 1.45% to $199.20. And the 62% flats index was 172.75, up 1.62% to $175.55. Uh, and then on freight, we've had Cape Size Index is uh, 12,152, down 1,064, 8.1%. And the Panamax, 17,563, down 1,856, or 9.6%. And to round off the indexes on the tankers, TC2 down 21%, ending 112.78. TC5 uh, up 6%, ending 92. Uh, T3C, the VLs, uh, is down 3% in 31.54. And TD25 is a non-mover at around 115.5%. So going into some of the reasons we've seen on the market, why don't we start with oil and products and myself. We have obviously tomorrow, as it is Wednesday, Thursday, we have the OPEC meeting coming up. But uh, we have been seeing a nice move up on these these prices. Uh, Brent pushed through $67 last week. So, you know, this is starting to get to those levels. We mentioned previously all those stories coming out of the woodwork of $100 oil again. But we we... The month roll has obviously pushed that back down again and also the sentiment coming towards the OPEC meeting. So we are still in the kind of 64, 65 range again after that high last week. So that was the highest prices that we've seen since January 2020. So really pushing up into more normal levels after that collapse that we had in April last year. Uh, the high five is still hiding nicely in those three figures. So that's the difference in the low sulfur and high sulfur fuel oil, especially for those who own a scrubbed vessel, 
uh, with the high freight rates that we've seen recently as well. I'm sure that they are having a much better time, you know, fewer sleepless lights on things that are going about, uh, especially those different stream of fuel stays in those three figures. It starts to make those economics much more viable uh, after the large investments of, you know, was there about one and a half to two million new, two to three in terms of uh, a retrofit on scrubbers. So a large investment, which they need to see some payback on. So the fact that those those uh, spreads have started to increase again does make that much more of a, a viable prospect of those people who, who put in that investment. We've seen those values on the Sing.5 pop above the $500 level. The roll brought that back down again. So we're seeing front month futures in the 480s, but we did see that last week when we had that $67 a barrel on Brent pushing up through those 500 levels. So something definitely to watch and to think about going forward. If it's something that you're thinking that this is going to go to $100 again, then you're going to see the impact on that on fuel as well. So hedging our strategies need to be to be thought about going forward. If we start to push above those things, the levels that we saw, uh, it would have been January 2020, where we had levels above 600 on the, on the 0.5% fuels. But of course, all eyes are on the OPEC meeting uh, tomorrow and the prospect of increases in production allowances, which is something which is expected. Uh, so we have also seen that come off in sentiment on, on the market that they expect things to be increasing, especially with improving prices that were going along. It's obviously a big balancing act between the two sides of, of production and what is increasing in demand because of uh, the economic impacts of, of the virus outbreak that we've had. So with increasing that, I, I'm sure that we're going to be seeing some sort of production allowances or hints towards those in the future uh, as they allow people to, to take on more. I know countries like uh, Russia, for example, will be pushing to, to increase their uh, allowances. Chris, we've obviously seen big, uh, big write-downs uh, from like the European US oil majors over the last uh, 12 months basis, lower oil prices in a sort of move away from oil. That was when oil was at you know much, much lower levels than it is now. Now we're at mid-60s and banks are upping forecasts and there's talk $100 oil again. Like, do you have a sense on whether those retired assets will be brought back on balance sheet uh, or do you think they are genuinely off balance sheet and companies are fundamentally changing their business model? Uh, I think it's very difficult for the US stuff. I think there is a fundamental change of business model there, especially when you have <clears throat> the new administration pushing to say decarbonize its economy and others but you know the cost of bringing on certain assets you'd have to look at the specific asset the cost of bringing it back on could be you know very high and what i think we talked about this previously months and months ago about the lack of investment going forward so you can have a problem coming forward at a crunch point and i'm sure that's the reasoning behind a lot of these hundred dollar a barrel stories is that if you have a situation where suddenly a lot of the economy comes back online, demand for oil starts to peak again, although it, you know they expect it to, to reach peak oil or have already reached peak oil, there's still a significant amount needed in the world when we're fully functioning again and all open again, that the cost of bringing on those old assets or the lack of previous investment to bring on new ones, because there's constant need to recycle and bring on new production as things start to fall off. So when you open a new well, eventually... Uh, as things go along, it, it becomes a diminishing return. Yeah. So that could cause a problem later on. And I can see a very uh, plausible situation where suddenly we have a situation that 
because if we've not had that previous expiration and because there's retired assets, uh, a large proportion of them may never come back online again. Or if they are, it's such a huge cost investment. We have to see that $100 a barrel to, to justify doing it. So no, I think it's very plausible that we have a situation that, okay, some of them will come back online, and but more plausible the fact that a huge uh, increase in, in requirement for oil and products and that could cause real problems going forward and very much justify a three-figure uh, on, on the crude. So you were saying, um, yeah, in terms of other country, uh, other people saying about uh, levels of oil, what they're saying, Morgan Stanley has pushed their rent levels higher. They're much earlier hitting 65 than their previous uh, thoughts. Yeah. Um, Goldman Sachs saying, predicting 70 by the Q2 and 75 by Q3. Wow. And that's been reported by Reuters News. Um, but was thinking uh, in terms of the OPEC, which is the big story about tomorrow, so we'll be able to think about more of it on the next podcast, is that they think that their output will be raised by half a million barrels a day. Um, looking at Saudi Arabia, who've not yet commented on production quotas beyond April. So that's been reported in oilprice.com. So some of the things there, definitely. So we're looking at half a million barrels increase of, of those. Uh, obviously, Goldman Sachs saying that things are going to be definitely ramping up towards the end of this year, 75Q3. As we discussed, um, some of the assets not coming back online. If you look at the UK's vaccination programme in other countries, UK is looking to vaccinate most of the population in by the, or at least have offered a vaccine to most of the population by the end of June. You'll have other countries keep playing catch up. Obviously, Israel is out there in the front, but other countries, the US is going very well with its vaccine programme now as well. Uh, that in Q3, you could have a lot of other countries saying that they're getting close to vaccinating a large proportion of the adult population and therefore allowing things economy open and then a delayed, I don't know what you think in terms of this, Tom, uh, with a lot of these countries then allowing uh, things to open up again, that you could get a huge surge in spending. I know, I think that the UK, there's rumours of uh, cutting VAT to encourage spending, a huge spending boom and everything else that comes with that, in terms of, uh, or even talk now of an overheated US economy. I mean, I, the inflation trade is certainly the hot topic at the moment and what's happening in the sort of, uh, yield mar uh, bond markets and, and whatever is certainly reflecting that adjustment that is being played out. I think there's definitely legs behind it, uh, but I think a lot of it as well is sort of, there. there is certainly pent up demand and there's been so much money pumped into the economy uh, that there will be spending, but I, I sort of still hold the view that unfortunately the pain isn't realised at an economic level yet because the government has just been backstopping everything. So the job losses haven't been as pronounced as maybe maybe everyone thought they would be, but certainly in the UK, like the furlough scheme's just been extended again until September. So the real economic fallout hasn't been sort of realised yet. And maybe it won't be because governments will backstop the whole thing through, but then there's certainly a big adjustment to be made at a uh, a company PLC level on, on how it manages things moving forward. So yes, there's definitely pent up demand in the in the economy, like savings rates among like um, in all sort of developed nations have, have increased quite dramatically over the last 12 months. Um, and you would expect some of that to be brought back into the economy as people are able to travel and, you know, 
people are more comfortable with the risk scenario of for bigger purchases again. Um, but I think there's a, unfortunately, there's a degree of wishful thinking in that because I, I just think some of the economic pain hasn't been borne out yet, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, and there's if you look at the API stuff for the oil, there's a large build predicted in US stocks plus uh, 7.35 million, apparently. So, you know, they could have a situation which is predicted by a lot of these things of uh, overproduction of oil coming out too early and the same with the, the economy. But let's move on to, to iron ore and um, what we're seeing in the markets there. Yeah, I mean, not a blockbuster week uh, on iron ore uh, for a change. Um, there's still some sort of intraday fun and games going on, but what used to be a big move in dollar terms on a daily basis uh, about 12 months ago is now a pretty boring day in the office. Um, for the most part, it's a continuation of the discussion that we had last week. Um, but the big sort of news uh, or talking point for the next few days is certainly the fact that the um, the party is meeting in China. Uh, uh, so it's National Party Congress for the next few days and there is a new five-year plan being announced at the end of it. Um, we normally see quite a lot of piecemeal regulation around uh, air quality, uh, certainly around the Tangshan region, coming out of uh, these meetings. But the reason I think it's more pertinent this time than, than usual is China has obviously in the last in the last few months made for some fairly punchy commitments towards um, a carbon neutral economy. So They've stated that they would be at peak carbon by 2030 and carbon neutrality by 2060. Uh, and also in recent weeks, they announced that they, from a steelmaking perspective, want zero emissions growth uh, compared to 2020. So as opposed to normally having some, yeah, as I said, piecemeal regulation coming out of these meetings, there will or, or the market is certainly expecting that this new five-year plan will have some fairly major plans uh, and regulation shift um, over the longer term. Um, so it will be interesting to see how the market and how the iron ore price digests that, um, given that you know normally these restrictions put a sort of support pricing, um, but but but. They're, they're very much short-term um, short impact and short-term regulatory. Um, uh, I'll try that again. But it'll be very interesting to see how the market digests this and the iron ore price digests this, uh, given the more long-term nature of the announcement that is expected. Everything that we normally see from these discussions is, is, a, is a more short-term um, reactionary um, policy change uh, to, to bring down uh, or improve air quality. Um, so, so, yeah, watch this space um, as to what happens on the back of any announcements over the coming few days. In terms of uh, some data points for the last few weeks, uh, the last few days, sorry. Um, interestingly, uh, 2020 total production uh, was announced at 2.22 billion tonnes um, and uh, is expected to increase 130 million tonnes to 2.35 billion tonnes. So that continues uh, what we were talking about last week in terms of increased production uh, and demand. Um, in terms of deliveries last week, uh, Australian and iron ore total deliveries into China were up 1.49 million tonnes to a total of 24 
million tons. Um, and mill inventory, so steel inventory, is up 435,000 tonnes week on week to 10.2 million tonnes. Uh, and circulation inventory of 16.95 million tonnes up 1.29 million tonnes. So we're still seeing a steel inventory build. Um, those margins are still very, very thin, uh, if not negative for the uh, steel mills. Um, but the iron ore price still continues to grind on up, uh, maybe in anticipation of what's going to be announced over the coming days. But I would expect to see a bit more activity uh, at the end of this week or certainly the beginning of next. And Tom, you think that there's the market setting itself up for a rather big correction backwards? So we're talking about the carbon neutral by 2060, peak 2030. And if you take in mind those figures and that we go up 130 million tonnes in this year, uh, 2.35 billion tonnes in total, uh, and that a, a rough rule of thumb is that it's about 1.9 times that for the tonnes of carbon emissions from yeah. the production of steel, uh, on top of all of the, the money that we had going in to uh, the market prior to the to lunar holiday, that actually, when you're looking at the indexes that we outlined to start with, nearly 200 on the 65, and we're getting there on the 62 as well, that 2022 could definitely be something that corrects itself back down to more normal levels. I mean, it's entirely feasible. Um, not, as I was just saying, normally any sort of emission control is price positive. Um, but I think given that it feels like there is... Well, if China is to fulfil its ambitions and get to that 2060 ambition and... and um, fulfill on what it said about next or, or this year's emissions on the steel side then then there has to be a fairly seismic shift in either the quality of mills that are producing um, and therefore they can do it much more clear and efficiently um, which is certainly certainly will be a focus because I I struggle to see how China really relinquishes or wants to relinquish its control on the global steel market uh, as much as it wants to be able to reduce its emissions its steel production is so important that i think everything will be very very considered um so i think it, what you will see is or should see is a move towards more eaf production so electronic arc furnaces they are capable of um, smelting or, or using scrap as an input metal as opposed to having to use uh, raw materials so I think you'll see a move towards more scrap-based production, uh, which should theoretically have a negative impact on iron ore pricing um, as it moves away from iron ore as an input material. Um, but I think it's it's entirely well, as I, as I said, I think I think China's China's ultimate control of the steel market is still a very very important strategic tool for itself. Uh, globally and geopolitically um, so yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how it bears out but yeah, if they are going to hit those targets then you would expect a fairly major downward correction from these levels um, at some point but yeah. if, if, if demand is still strong and the rest of the world is still you know massively hugely demanding steel as it comes back online at some point later this year as the vaccine sort of program really kicks in then you're not going to see negative price action over the next sort of six, seven months. I wouldn't have thought. I, I imagine you'd still get some fairly, fairly sustained strength. 
But speaking of those big numbers and a lot of facts that we were looking at, Kerry, are you going to give us a little bit of insight onto the steel? Absolutely. Absolutely, Chris. Um, some record-breaking numbers we're seeing out of the States right now with the uh, April USHRC contracts, the Midwest HRC trading up to $1,301 yesterday. Um, literally levels we have not seen before. Uh, there's been a lot of chat about the macro and fundamental reasons for this. And in fact, we held an entire steel conference last week that was rather well attended in which this was all discussed. But one of the things we like to look at here as well is definitely the financial uh, reasons for this, the specifically futures related reasons for these market moves. And uh, so Alistair Lamont, who works on our cross commodities desk here at FIS and puts out an excellent weekly report, submitted uh, a little bit of insight into the short term steel moves uh, from a more financial perspective yesterday. Uh, as he points out, the short-term fundamentals remain supportive with the physical market tight through April. With this in mind, it seems unlikely that mills will lower prices and with a lack of investors, buyers may be forced to pay up. What's more, should there be any disruptions to the supply side of the balance sheet, DG maintenance, shuttering, or an outage, then there is scope for another move higher. When you combine the short-term fundamentals situation with the fact that the specs have built a considerable short position, there is an increasing risk that a move higher could be violent. Whilst on the face of it, the spec short of 8,568 lots illustrates strong conviction that the market is mispriced to the upside. Both the size of the position in relation to the aggregate open interest, 32.7% to be exact, and the timing, price level of the inflation uh, of the position create risk in the opposite direction, in fact. Uh, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but something to watch for. The data appears to show the short positions were initially built through November, when prices moved from $640 up to $800, and then added again to through January when prices were around $1,000. March, as I just mentioned, is now trading $1,272, that April up at $1,300, crossing the $1,300 mark. Whilst it's impossible to know the details of these positions, i.e. how many have offsetting trades, if this position was to be unwound, it looks like, likely to cause even another for the potential move to the upside, which may be, so it may be worth looking at the wings. Nice, so we've got a situation with the iron ore looking like, well, I was asking Tom in terms of him, whether he thinks is this price is gonna be inflated <laughs> and we're now moving forward well, and steals. I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna weigh in on the iron ore this week for <laughs> once because we've asked the same question every week since mm. I believe we started the mm. podcast. But, uh, but on the steel, I thought that was a very interesting insight, um, uh, which is that, you know, ironically far from suggesting just that everyone thinks the market is overpriced at these levels you know let's be careful with that massive short position building exactly and if anyone wants to see that uh, commodity report by alistair it is put up on our linkedin page uh, or if you'd like to contact him directly that's alistair l at freightinvestor.com but carry the final commodity of this week that we're doing is freight and let's just have a recap of those indexes because it's been a little while since we mentioned those yeah start, so the but... cape size 5tc uh as of yesterday stands at 12,152 that's down 1064 dollars or 8.1 percent uh the panamax 4tc average uh is at 17,563 dollars that's down 1856 or 9.6 percent um but you know those headline falls on the indices may be a little misleading on the cape size the market stabilized and indeed finally saw some real strength on paper yesterday afternoon with a substantial jump north on both the front month where the April gained $1,825 yesterday to close at 16575 
and a further $1,325 this morning, impressively, to hit $17,900 value. Uh, that Q2 also moved up almost as much to trade $18,950 this morning. Looking at the physical, the Aussie majors were actively taking tenants yesterday, uh, with that C5 continuing to improve throughout the day. Uh, $7.80 heard post-index on, uh, on a West Aussie China fixture. From Brazil, the offers have been standing in the low mid-16s on standard ships for end March dates before that charge on the FFA towards the end of the day saw all those offers pulled back, although there was fairly little actually going through. There are still a lot of balusters, it's worth noting, for March arrival dates, and so while the all-green physical index ironically drove up that massive paper move yesterday, the overreaction on paper is arguably now worth powering the further gains on physical and forcing those offers to pull back off. So we'll see how sustainable that cycle is. Um, uh, a little bit of the tail wagging the dog there. And the Panamax market, like the big ships, seemed much the same. A bit of a competition between the paper and the physical market to drive each other up. The week started quietly, but we saw a huge jump in cargo inquiry from East Coast South America emerging on Tuesday. That drove up levels in both basins on the physical market. This also fed into general optimism for April ex East Coast South America that the market had held for some time, sent the paper absolutely soaring. The April Panamax jumped an eye-watering $3,900 since yesterday morning until now uh, to a $20,750 20, value this morning. Well, the Q2 has jumped around 2,600 bucks up to an 18,700 value this morning. So some big moves in the last sort of 24 to 36 hours on that freight again. Um, and, uh, and looking fairly positive, but unclear whether this is uh, the paper overreaction simply lifting the physical further or vice versa. That we've had a couple of weeks where the freight has been the main story of what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly, and it, and it looks like it wants to keep itself in the headlines uh, exactly. this week as well. John B. last week talking about those uh, incredible record volumes that we were seeing, and he yep. loves and talking about his three Vs, <laughs> volume, exactly. volatility, and value. And so, uh, Certainly all three in play here. So. Exactly. So we'll keep an eye on what's happening in those iron ore markets, what's happening tomorrow with OPEC and the oil. You'll be able to find that out next week, as well as the EIA statistics later today. And of course, freight, which always keeps us on our toes. But thank you again to Tom and Kerry and to everyone listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Josh.